Acts chapter 2. We'll kind of base ourselves out of it tonight. So, a little bit nervous about doing this because uh, really depending on you tonight, and not just uh, not just me, so uh, I tried to forewarn you last week and you still showed up tonight, so hopefully you, uh, you're ready to interact and participate. Normally we would not, uh, we have not done something like this before, uh, so we're going to just spend a lot of time on the discussion questions, and depending on how it goes tonight, we'll do it another time or two. I think uh, the Reiners will be here next week, and then the following week is uh, the uh, first of December, so we would have the, uh, the old-fashioned Christmas service, which is at six. So we won't be here that Sunday. So the second Sunday, of December is the next time we'll be back in here. So depending on how how uh, helpful this is, we may do it one more uh, one more week, two more weeks. If it's great. If it's fantastic, then we'll, we'll do it a little bit. But uh, as I said last week, uh, I want to now that we're done with the Book of Acts. We're going. I want to take just a few, uh, few, at least one or two times, and look at the book as a whole, and look at specifically the church. There's a lot of narrative that went in, uh, and a lot of story. But now I want to come back, and uh, we're going to base it here out of chapter two and verse uh, 40, uh, 42, and then down to the end of the chapter, which is something that we've already kind of studied. So we're not going to really go anything new. I will take a few minutes uh, at the beginning here and explain what uh, what's going on just to kind of get our thoughts. It's been uh, several chapters ago since we were in Acts chapter 2. And then I really want to take some time and go through these uh, six questions here and uh, really just uh, not with a not with a uh, goal of getting to the end of them, but uh, just to kind of spark some, some thought and some discussion and question. And so I hope that you will interact. Don't feel like, well, that's for everybody else. I really would like to hear what you have to say about these things. And so uh, don't don't sit around and wait for someone else to uh, speak up or raise their hand, uh, but uh, jump in and do that. If uh, we get done, we get if we, whenever we get done, we, we get done, meaning we won't go past the hour, but uh, if, if y'all are to sit there uh, in 10 minutes from now, we will be walking out the door, and uh, we have no more donuts. Uh, so came to church for church, so hopefully you're not like, oh, everyone be quiet. Like in like in school, nobody asks questions, so we can go. Uh, so, um, yeah. Acts 2 and verse 42 is where we're going to kind of use our, our springboard. Uh, there's, depending on who you look at, who you read, there are a very different number of characteristics of the early church. I looked at, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just kind of wrote down on my own uh, list, I wrote down uh, real quickly, without really thinking about it too hard, about 20 characteristics. Not that I'm really smart, but just I remember 20 of them. I think if I thought harder, probably could come up with more. Uh, looked at uh, other people that have written uh, one book I'm reading uh, right now to kind of just keep my mind uh, focused on this, uh, has five. Uh, his is uh, preaching, ordinances, leadership, discipline, and a focus on mission. And then... Um, Alistair Begg, uh, he had he had seven in uh, something I was looking at with his, and his was uh, very similar: uh, teaching, fellowship, ordinances, prayer, mutual care, worship, and continuous evangelism. Uh, much of what we read, uh, one of the, the main commentaries that I used through this, uh, goes back to Acts two forty two and lists uh, about six or seven, and we're going to just focus on the six or seven that are mentioned in this little passage here. There are 
many, many more. I think if you look at last, I think I put them in last week's uh, different, uh, I think last week's outline I put in some different things that I noticed. Not all of them are necessarily things that we can do, but qualities of the church, you know, there are miracles, uh, things like that we can't necessarily do. Uh, so we're not looking to make the Acts Church come to the 21st century, but we are looking, as I mentioned, very beginning and scattered throughout, uh, what the church looked like at the very beginning, baby stages. There wasn't a lot of tradition. There wasn't a lot of, uh, this is how we've always done it. There were no books on how to build a church. Uh, really, these were, this is the first. This is the These are the first people doing it. So they had no one to base it off of, no one to go and ask questions. And, they, and, I, and I think one of the questions is going to kind of uh, pull this out. I think they were focused differently than what the church is today. And, uh, maybe maybe not necessarily today. So uh, we're going to go to Acts 2.42 and look at the main uh, characteristics. Uh, Eckhart Schnabel, the man who wrote the commentary that I used a lot this, uh, this, uh, yeah, it's been this year. You realize we started Acts 1 in January, like the first Sunday night of January. It's been a little while. No one knows how to drag it out drag out a short book like a preacher and make it last uh, much longer than it needed to. But uh, he, he um, calls these first four that we're going to look at, which I've put in your bulletin there, first four he calls them the priorities of the church. Uh, they're all the ingredients, <coughs> excuse me, ingredients or characteristics of the church. The last three, there, generosity, worship, and evangelism would just be uh, <coughs> not necessarily priorities, but they're just very evident characteristics or ingredients of this early church. Acts 2.42. Uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There's the first one. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we studied the entire book, and we could probably make a very long list of, here's something that we see in the early church, here's something that we see in the early church, here's something else that we see, uh, and and maybe make a, a to-do list, if you will, of what our church needs, but just for sake of time, uh, we're just going to focus on these seven, six or seven things right there. Tonight, with particular attention to the first two, which is doctrine or teaching and then fellowship. So let me just make a couple of thoughts uh, in the, on these. And the questions tonight will mostly have to do with the first two there. And then uh, we'll, we'll address the other the others at uh, future weeks. Uh, in doctrine, uh, there was, uh, or under doctrine at least, there was a high priority as we study the early church we study the preaching and the teaching of the early church and the early church leaders, there is a high priority on the Word of God. Very strong emphasis on the Bible. Uh, we see here that the apostles taught it, and then the believers listened to it, and everyone then practiced it. And this was kind of the, the way that they, they operated. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, the do, and the apostles' doctrine, we, we know, was not their doctrine. It was the doctrine that Jesus had taught them, that, that they continue to, they perpetuate it. But they looked to the apostles in the early days for the leadership and the teaching, and, but they put themselves in the position to listen to it. So it wasn't just like uh, the, 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 
was the magic of somehow the words being said by the apostles, but that the people put themselves in a position to listen to it. And then it went further and they actually practiced it and applied it. And that's uh, that was a, that was a very strong emphasis. Uh, I, I read this and wrote this down because I had not picked up on it. Uh, um, what's the word? I can't think of it. My mind's going blank. Subconsciously, there we go. I had not consciously picked it up as we were going through this, but the common themes of the preaching in Acts, this is, uh, we won't look at these, but let me just read this. This is about five or six different sermons that we have listed in Acts. In Acts 2.21 and 34 and 36, the theme of the preaching there was Jesus is the Messiah and Lord. In, uh, in the preaching in Acts 2 and 3, it is the son of uh, he is the son of David and God's servant. In chapter 5 and chapter 3, uh, it is about the holy and righteous Savior. In chapter 10, it's about a prophet like Moses and the judge of humankind. In chapters 10 uh, and 15, it is about the need for repentance in view of God's revelation of the Messiah, of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 4, the theme is about salvation in Jesus alone. And then in these, and as I was reading through these, I picked up a common theme, and the common theme is Christ. It's all about Jesus. It was all about uh, the Messiah. It was uh, the, he was the theme of it, but also it wasn't just what they talked about then. It was even the scriptures that they used from the Old Testament. All of that was used to, to focus on one theme, and that was Jesus. Uh, there is a lot going on in the Bible. But in every instance, they used it to draw men to Christ. He was the reason that they were talking. He was the reason that they were listening. And he was the reason that they continued to do so. Uh, we read about Philip in, in Ethiopian eunuch. When he was preaching, he was preaching from, well, he wasn't preaching him, but he was, he was discipling him from Isaiah 53. But he used an Old Testament passage to talk about Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, and when Stephen did his sermon. Uh, he used Old Testament passages to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And here it was all about Scripture, and Scripture was all about Christ. So preaching or teaching uh, the Word, this, this idea of doctrine, uh, is this, is this uh, mentality that we, we do not look at the Bible as a book of how to live. This is not a, this is not a book filled with practical how-to steps to have a better life. Now, there's, there's, there's things in there that you can apply, but the Bible's focus is not how you can have a better life. It is not uh, a book of random stories that are scattered, uh, sprinkled throughout the instructional parts intended to entertain uh, so they don't lose our attention after we've read books like Leviticus and the, uh, the, first, uh, the last 63 chapters of Isaiah. And, and things like that. It's not to keep our attention uh, there, and it's not an entertainment book. Um, it is uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from Jesus, uh, from from Adam and Eve all the way to the dragon at the end. Uh, there's a common theme or one narrative that moves throughout the whole book, and that's Christ. It's Jesus, and the early church here focused on that, and they kept the focus on that throughout all of the preaching, throughout all of the teaching, whether it be in a, in a traditional service or whether it be in discipling and evangelism, it was all about Christ. And that's the mentality that we need to have, is that the Bible is about God. It's about who God is. It's about what God requires, and what God expects, 
And it's about how we can know him and glorify him. It's a subtle shift of perspective. Instead of saying that the Bible is how is for me uh, to live, we, we, we shift that perspective and that thinking to the Bible is for me to know God. Because everything in here is about God. And when I, when I come at it with that mentality, everything is about God. What does God want? I'm reading the Old Testament. What, is, what does God say about himself in 2 Kings? What is God saying about himself in the Psalms? And what does God want me to know about him in Jeremiah? And how do I see Christ in the book of Jonah? And how do I see Jesus in the Gospels? That's easy. But when we get away from these specific mentions, like for instance, I think it's the book of Esther that is there. doesn't mention God, but he's, he's definitely there. But there's no specific reference to it. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for Jesus. And I'm keeping that at the forefront of my of my study and of my preaching and my teaching. That's a challenge for me. And for those of you who would teach a lesson, is to keep the focus and the emphasis on Christ. Uh, what we one of the one of the questions we're going to talk about in just a second here. It talks about how we can subtly get away from. Uh, I was reading a little bit yesterday about how we don't need to make the Bible relevant because the Bible is already already relevant. And what we what people do because they want to get people interested in the Bible is they say, "Let me tell you how you can do have a happier life." or how you can have a better marriage, or how you can have raise your kids, and let's look in the Bible for all these things. And those things are in there, but that's not why we have the Bible. Unless you can have a happier life, or so you can have obedient kids, or so you can, whatever it may be, it's so you can know God, because that's what it's about. And when, as we know God, he teaches us about himself, and the qualities and the characteristics that we know of God and Christ, and then we apply them to our lives, and we have happier marriages, we have uh, you know, better families and things like that. So that's uh, that's the doctrine and the teaching of the word. And then the second thing was this thing called fellowship. And as I said several times, uh, fellowship is a lot more than having donuts before church and Sundays. We enjoy that type of fellowship, but uh, fellowship means something much much deeper. Uh, it is described as a close association involving mutual interests in sharing. So we have a fellowship, and it means that we have an association with one another that involves a mutual interest and mutual sharing. Okay, how many of you are a crafter? Would you raise your hand? You're, you're a crafter, essentially. Okay. Now, the four of you ladies that raise your hand, I noticed none of us guys raise your hand. Uh, that's your mutual interest, but that's not why we gather together. You know, uh, there, there are football fans in here, but there are people who don't care about football or any sport. That's not why we gather. That's not why we have things in common. If you think about it, the people that are our friends are the people with whom we share common interests. But if you look at a church, it's very different. And if you look at the early church, if you look at this, this early church and in, in the different churches in Acts, think about the very demographics within these, these churches. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were rich and poor, which was a big, a big difference then, not as much as, as it is now. There were slaves and free people. There were citizens and non-citizens. There were the religious and well-respected within the community mixed with people who had no good reputation and were considered not religious. Think about some of Jesus' disciples. He called tax collectors. Matthew was not considered a well-respected man in the community, not a religious sort. But then there were people who were Pharisees and were people who were priests who uh, got saved, and they were leaders in the synagogue, but now they're a part of the church. And So there's people with huge religious background, and then there's people with 
not really much religious background. There's people that could walk outside and everybody would tip their hat to them and say hello. And there's other people that, uh, that, that were in the same church that would walk down the street and most people would just soon not even acknowledge their presence. And yet they were all within the church. How did that type of a church have fellowship? It's because they had a mutual interest. They had a close association with a mutual interest and they shared. What did they have in common? Relationship with Christ. That's the thing they had in common. What do we have in common? Uh, some of us, we like sports. Some of us, we like uh, sewing. And some of us, we like uh, all kinds of crazy things. We don't have the same jobs in common. We don't have the same uh, friends in common. Many of you have friends that nobody else knows in here. What is the one thing that, that gathers us together tonight? Why are we here tonight? Christ. And so that's the fellowship that we enjoy. And that's an important part of what the of what the church uh, here in Acts had. It was a, it was a, they, they had in common the relationship with Christ, a confrontation with sin and a need for their salvation. They had in common a new life and joy and hope that they had found in him. They had a, uh, in, in common the desire to know God through Christ better. And being, uh, they, had, they had the fellowship. Of, uh, the one thing, they had, another thing they had in common was they were all misunderstood by the world. And they were starting to all become persecuted by the world. And when we begin to share those common things, then we can say, you know what, uh, though outside of the church, I may not have anything to do with this guy because we have Christ in common. Now, we have, we have a lot. We have a lot in common, which drove them to some of these other qualities, the generosity and the, the, uh, the evangelism and going out and, and discipling other people. Uh, people uh, apart from Christ wouldn't want to have a rich and a poor, wouldn't have anything to do with each other. Jew and a Gentile wouldn't have anything to do with each other. But because of Christ, and in the name of Christ, I want you, I want to eat with you. I want to, I want to spend time with you. I want to help meet your needs. I want to pray with you. I want to uh, live life with you. And what they begin to develop is this community within the community. And that's, that's what we, we as a church should be uh, focused on. The fellowship that we enjoy as a church should be rooted in our relationship in Christ. Not necessarily because we have the same worldly interests, although that's great. Those are that's that's what moves it from love to like. You know, uh, I really enjoy when I get with people that I like being with, rather than all right, this is my responsibility, this is my duty. I have to go to Aunt Mildred's house. I'm fine to go, but I can't wait till it's time to leave. But when you go to someone else's house, you're like, oh, is it time to leave already? You know, when you when you go somewhere and your kids don't want to leave, you know it was a good time. When, when they ask you five minutes in, when is the time to go? Or when your husband's saying, can we go? Then you say, okay, let's hurry up. Let's hurry up and, and fulfill this obligation. And we don't want church to be like that. Well, when we come with the right attitude and we have this thing called fellowship, uh, when we're rooted in Christ and we see, okay, it's not, it's not that we both love football or that we both, I like this person's interests and they're the same as mine, but that we're here for Christ. And, and, and then it begins to change our mentality. And it is through our shared fellowship in Christ that we have these opportunities to become generous, encouraging, and even accountable, and be disciplined uh, by each other. As mentioned, I think, this morning in prayer, uh, that, uh, that you know, this is one of the advantages of meeting together, uh, this, with, this, with discipline. Without the fellowship that we have in Christ, we miss out on these opportunities. <laughs>